You may have noticed a theme uh, uh, in, uh, coming through in our, in our worship. Anybody notice what it might be? Christ the King. The kingship of Christ. And uh, I'm going to read now from John's Gospel, chapter 18. It's on page um, 1086 in the Pew Bibles. And we're reading from verse 33. Jesus before Pilate. Pilate went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying, I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I came to the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. And with that, he went out again to the Jews. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We could have a a slide up. It'll be good. That's it. That's exactly what I want. It works. Fantastic. Um, Prince Charles was 70 last week, wasn't he? And did anybody see the interview with him? Um, It was quite interesting. I didn't see all of it. But there was one phrase when the interviewer said to him, look, uh, paraphrase, you've got a reputation for sticking your nose in where it's not wanted. Um, Are you going to do that as king? And he said, no. There are two different jobs. I'm the Prince of Wales, and the sovereign is the sovereign. And there is only room for one sovereign. Now, if you don't take anything away from this morning, apart from that, remember that. There is only room for one sovereign. And Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. Now, you can't have a king without a kingdom. And it's very puzzling, this, in the Bible. I mean, there have been occasions, I think, just after the war. Uh, king Constantine, for instance, of Greece, uh, was a king that lived in Kensington, but he didn't have a kingdom because it was now a republic. And Spain was much the same, wasn't it, um, after the civil war there. But generally speaking, a king is linked to a physical place. Now, I'm not one into fantasy role-play and whatever. With the, I, don't, I haven't watched... 
Um, thrones, king? Game of Thrones, that's the word. But I guess that's about people wanting power. They want to conquest land. And C.S. Lewis, in, in um, the Narnia stories, is the same. You've got the good kings and the bad kings, uh, and the other one with the, uh, the hobbits in. What's that called? Lord of the Rings. Much the same sort of thing, isn't it? You've got people with ki- who are kings who want to reign supreme. Lastly, Lee was telling us about um, Caesar being the great high priest. He put himself in charge of all religions all over the world. And he told, told us that verse, those verses from Hebrews that we have a greater high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And here we move on to Jesus claiming not just to be the great high priest, but to be the king. This is dangerous, subversive stuff. To proclaim yourself as a king when the emperor was the king. The emperor God was the king. Had the power of life and death over every single subject in the known world. His word was supreme. And nobody argued with him. And here comes Jesus saying, I am the king. I have a kingdom. The kingdom is different. And Jesus initiated his public life along the same ways that John the Baptist, his cousin, had done. The first thing Jesus told people to do was repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Turn around. Stop what you're doing. Stop going your own way and go God's way. Repent. But not merely for the sake of change, but for the sake of the kingdom. And the kingdom exists because Jesus is king. He is the Messiah, the saviour. The promise of the Old Testament will be coming next month into the readings, won't we? The promise of the Messiah coming from the Old Testament in Isaiah and Micah. And here Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus affirms that he is. And he was crucified on that basis. The king was declaring his kingdom. We get that in Matthew chapter 4. It was foretold by the scriptures and it was announced by John. And Jesus had come to establish his rule. But you might want to say, where is the kingdom? Two came up together. Where is the kingdom? Never mind. Where is the kingdom? For a few brief decades, under the rule of David, Israel was whole. Israel was at peace. Its borders were secure. Its economy was prosperous. The 12 tribes had been united. Jerusalem was the capital. And under David's son, Solomon, that continued. Solomon's sons fell out with each other, and there was civil war and partition. And very quickly, Israel was invaded by foreign powers. And remained so until 1948. 
So when somebody came along and said, I am the king of the Jews, expectations rose. Is this the person that God promised who's going to restore the kingdom of David and bring us peace and prosperity, determine our own future? Where is the kingdom? And he told the Pharisees when they asked that question that the kingdom is within you or amongst you. He was saying that Christ's kingdom is a simple spiritual concept or a powerful abstract idea. No. He made a promise to his disciples that they would rule the tribes of Israel in his kingdom in Matthew 19. They apparently took him seriously and literally because they still didn't get it at the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles. So they said, when you come again, it's then when you're going to kick the Romans out and be a proper king. And it wasn't until the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost that the penny dropped and they realized the kingdom of God is something different. It's not a where, it's within. So when is the kingdom? Oh, that's right, good. When is the kingdom? Well, Tim talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and he alluded to um, uh, the Second World War on D-Day, I think it was, when he said that when the troops landed on the beaches at D-Day, the war was lost to the, the Nazis. The war was lost. But it hadn't yet been completely won. It wasn't until uh, complete uh, surrender came that peace was restored. And in the same way, Jesus declared that the kingdom was at hand. And Jesus kept saying this. And a few years later, they said, is now the time when you're going to bring your kingdom in? And he told, put them off. He said, only the Father knows when this is going to happen. And sometimes in the Gospels, the kingdom seems to be a present reality. Other times, it seems to be a hope for the future. It's both and. People um, argue about it today. Another illustration, a few years ago, I was rector of a small country parish. And uh, it had a number of farms in the parish. And uh, I used to go around on my bicycle when I was younger and fitter. And like many um, back roads, uh, the road actually went through a farmyard. And there I, gaily cycling on a beautiful summer's day, when suddenly out of a farm building let the most enormous dog, who obviously had been trained to eat anything on a bicycle. And it came bounding towards me, you know, tongue out, saliva going all over the place, I thought, this is it, my days are numbered, and I couldn't pedal fast enough. And then it caught up with me and sank its teeth into my calf. So I sort of hobbled back to the doctors, and I said, I've been bitten by a dog, and they fell around laughing. And, uh, but the next time I went, because you couldn't avoid going through it, I made a mistake. I hadn't realised that the dog was on a chain, And if I had cycled one yard to the right, it couldn't have got me. 
I went too close to it. And the kingdom of God sometimes doesn't seem to be a reality to us, and the devil seems to have free reign. He hasn't. He's chained to the cross. He hasn't got free reign. But don't go too close to him because he'll bite you. Know where he is and avoid him like the plague. And he'll trick you into thinking that the kingdom is a myth. I don't know whether you've been listening on the, on the radio at all to um, the rereading of the screw tape letters that's been rebroadcast um, on the radio recently. And reminded me of those that C.S. Lewis wrote, screw tape writing to the, the junior devil about how to get to Christians. Uh, you ought to read it. It's very, very good. So when is the kingdom? Now, but not yet. So what is the kingdom? Is there a way of understanding this? Probably not. Jesus' followers have been puzzling Odot for years. But it's about us living out the gospel in the world. It's about being the church. It's about being more like Jesus. The kingdom is not a place. It's within us. And it relies on us saying, who is the monarch? There's only room for one monarch. There's only one room, room for one sovereign. There's only room for one king. So what difference does it make? Well, First of all, it means a change of allegiance. If Christ is the king, he deserves honour, loyalty, obedience, and we put ourselves under his authority. Well, you might say, well, I do that. Good for you. I'm not quite as strong as you then, because I find myself only doing that when it's convenient to me and when it actually meets up with my agenda and my lifestyle and my hopes and aspirations. Jesus is king then, but when demands get a bit harsher, it's more difficult. Where does my allegiance lie? And we say the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth, in me, as it is in heaven. It means a change of allegiance. Kingdom people submit their own will to the will of the king. It also means a change in our expectations. One of the difficulties people have with the idea of a kingdom, it doesn't appear to be in place yet. God seems to be going further and further, the world seems to be going further and further away from God. Certainly in our own society. 
day by day. And when we think about that, it's daunting. And so the easy way is for us to live in the here and now, as if all that matters is this present moment. The eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die philosophy, I suppose. As long as I'm all right, in this moment, I won't worry about tomorrow. But the hope of the kingdom is that there is far more to life than what we see right now. And Jesus made extraordinary promises in regard to the future kingdom, not only for Israel, but for all who follow the king. And if you want a vision of what it's going to be like, a future expectation. Read the book of Revelation, chapter 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city in Jerusalem coming down from heaven, dressed as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, there's no going to be no more death, crying, pain, sorrow. I'm going to make all things new. Have you got a vision of that? Because that's the vision that God gave to John. A vision of a kingdom which is completely different from the reality in which we live. But a kingdom to which we work. A kingdom that we will want to expect. The kingdom may not be be fully completed, but it has been established. It was established in a manger in Bethlehem. God with us, Emmanuel, the Prince of Peace, Mighty Counselor, and all those phrases that we're going to be using over the next few weeks. It requires a change in our expectation. It also requires a change in our priorities. The real test of people's values is is how we spend our time and money. And Jesus spoke directly to that in terms of the kingdom in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount again. He didn't demean the value of work or diminish the need for material goods, but he challenged his followers to bring kingdom values to their everyday lives. What did he say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and the rest will come. And that's scary, but it's safe. You may have done that. You may not have had the courage to do that yet to actually surrender everything to the king and say, here it is. I know Archdeacon Sarah, in her sermon last month, challenged us to do that. A change in priorities. Seek God first. And you won't lose out. It doesn't make any sense in terms of the world's values. It's an absolute nonsense. Somebody said to me, well, if we give all our money away, where's it going to come from? Is it going to come floating from the church tower? I said, probably. It didn't do so, literally. Only only on Friday, a colleague of mine from years back, he said, "Um, 
we were really, really, really struggling last week. There'd been lots of bills and what have you. He's a, a rector up in the Yorkshire. And he said, there was a noise. I went downstairs and there, lying on the doormat, was an envelope and it had £500 in it, which was the bill that we had to pay in used notes. Seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added to you. A change in priorities. Also a change in lifelong mission. Some people are driven to accomplish great tasks in their lives. Others just live aimlessly from day to day. It'll work out all right. But uh, either way, Jesus affects the outlook of a person's life. He gives his followers purpose and mission. I came across a quote yesterday in the news from Justin. Not Justin, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Justin Bieber. You may have heard of him. I always thought he was the bad boy of pop. Um, but he just recently got married. And this was in the news. Uh, so I printed it off. He said, part of this, first Thanksgiving as a married man. First time hosting Thanksgiving, Bieber wrote in the posting on Friday. And then he went on to say, relationships are hard and love isn't always easy. But I, think, but I thank Jesus for showing me how. Every day, he says, is a learning process. Trying to be more like him. Patient, kind, selfless. Boy, have I got a long way to go. But God's grace is sufficient, the Canadian singer added. The newlyweds both attended the Evangelical Hillsong Church where they were married. Well, that took me by surprise. What a role model. How many millions of kids follow him on his Twitter account or his Facebook account? And we'll read that. Amazing. Kingdom priorities. Okay, so what difference does it all make? That's the biggest question. It means there's a change in values. And very quickly, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, I'm going to give you a different set of values to live by. And the first, kingdom values, is blessed are the poor in knowing um, our need of God, embracing our need of God. The world says you don't need God. We do. Secondly, the mourners. What does he say there? Expecting God's comfort in our pain. Experiencing God's comfort in our pain. Of knowing that God is alongside us in the valley of the shadow of death. And there is no grief, no pain, no angst that we are called to go through that God himself has not suffered on that cross. The one thing we can never say to God is you don't understand. Because he does. The meek, not a word we use very much nowadays. What choosing humble submission over ambition and authority. Submitting to the will of the king. 
What else does he say? The hungry for righteousness. We feel helpless in the world in which we live. And it's very difficult to stand up against the crowd. Very difficult to stand up for what we believe is right. And longing for God to make all things new, as I've already said. Looking forward with expectation that it doesn't have to be like this. And it will not be like this in the future. What else have we got? The merciful. Being kind to other. Expecting, uh, extending God's incredible compassion and mercy to those around us. And it starts with little acts of kindness. Little things that we can do during our working week that we think won't make a difference. But they do. But they do. In our home group, we've been looking at ways of doing that. So I don't know whether any of you have been following that course. What was it called, Christopher? I can't remember. If you can't remember, you're our leader. <laughs> Pun? Talking Jesus, that was right, yes. Looking for the opportunities and doing little things that people see make a difference. Pure in heart, all these values, making our hearts fully God in all that we think, say or do, and being peacemakers, bringing healing, togetherness and fullness to our world. And we can do that in our everyday lives in little ways. And so, those kingdom values are there. Persecuted. Nobody's going to like us for it. There have been more martyrs, I think, in the last hundred years than in the previous 2,000 years. John, when he wrote that book to the Revelation... Uh, called the book of the Revelation. He was in a concentration camp on the island of Patmos for his Christian faith. Following Jesus, no matter what the cost. If Jesus is the king, we will do that. There is only room for one sovereign. Amen.